Well, good morning, ladies. Um, it's good to be here. Um, and morning to those who have been listening on the podcast as well. This morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew 20. Um, and I've just broken it up into three parts. It could be broken up into more, but I decided to try and condense it a little bit. Um, so we're going to be looking at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And then looking at Jesus teaches about the status in the kingdom. And then Jesus heals the two blind men. So just in those three parts. Um, and I'm just going to pray now just before we go any further. Um, because I just need the Lord's strength and help this morning as I share his word. Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning. Um, just for this opportunity we have to study into Matthew. Um, Lord, um, what you have to say to us. And Lord, just pray that our hearts would be open to hear from you. Um, Maybe it's just something that you have to say to us, Lord, um, other encouragement or challenge this morning, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we'd be open to hear from you. Um, not my words, Lord, but, but your words, Lord. Lord, pray that you would help me this morning just um, calm my heart. And Lord, just pray, Lord, that you would speak through me and use me for your glory this morning, um, because that's what it's all about. We pray. Amen. Well, last week, um, Alyssa was speaking on Matthew 19, and Matthew 20 comes right out of that. So we kind of have to just talk a little bit about Alyssa's last week, because she was covering the end of chapter 19. And um, we see the question that Peter asked when he said, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Jesus answered this question in stages. First of all, with a promise of reward. We can see that in verse 28, and Alyssa talked about that last week. And then second, with a warning that God's manner of distributing reward is not like that of men. He said here that the first will be last and the last will be first. This leads us now into chapter 20, where Jesus once again uses a parable to help the disciples understand his answer. Why did Jesus use parables? Well, what is a parable? Well, I'm used to teaching kids and more than adults. And we, when we teach kids about parables, we always say, and I don't know, you probably learned this when you were younger too, that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Right? And basically what we're saying to the kids is that it's a story that they can relate to. So Jesus had a story for the people of that time that they could relate to. But it was a heavenly meaning. He wanted to teach them what he had to say about God's kingdom and about God. And so here we come to this parable really was to illustrate the principle that God's way of rewarding is not like man's practice of giving rewards. God does not reward like we reward. And this was what God, Jesus, was wanting to teach his disciples when he was teaching this parable. Jesus always used stories that the listeners could relate to. So whoever was listening to him at that time, he would use a story that they would understand. And this story that Jesus was going to um, share with the disciples was definitely one that the Jews and the disciples themselves would understand and they would get what Jesus was trying to say. 
And hopefully we will get what Jesus was trying to say this morning too. So we're going to read from Matthew 20 and we're going to read it in stages. Um, We're going to start off with um, verse 1 and we'll read through to verse 16. If you want to follow with me. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the labourers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. It is, not, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Here we have the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Let's break it down. Let's break this parable down. Um, and who we have here, we have the landowner and we have the workers. We have two sets of workers. We basically had the ones who came and they made an agreement with Jesus for a certain amount of pay. And it was this denarius and this was a good, this was what would have been paid to any of the workers that were coming that day. So it was a fair wage. They agreed to it. They said, this is what we're going to take. The landowner said this was what he was going to pay. And so they took on this set price of a denarius. The landowner then went to the marketplace. um, And this was where he then found the laborers together, together, um, looking for work that day. Um, Sorry. He also had the other workers as well but they took on whatever the landowner was going to give them they said they would go out and work they were coming in later 
and they would go out and they would work for whatever price the landowner felt good to give them. Um, if you wanted to work, if you wanted to be hired for work, this was where you would gather. You would come into the marketplace and all the, the landowners or the employers, they would be there looking for someone to come, um, looking for people to hire. And so you would come there early in the morning. You wouldn't come halfway through the day. And early in the morning, as they said here, would have been about dawn, would have been about 6 a.m. in the morning. And you'd be there ready to work, ready to be hired, and ready to, be, to do the work that was given to you that day. And so you have these workers who came, and they were hired at the beginning of the day. And as we said, they agreed to this denarius, or a penny a day, you could put it. This was the common practice for those days, for them to come, be hired at the start of the day, and then go out and work. The next part of the story was, this part of the story was um, entirely normal arrangement for those days. But first of all, I want to get something just out of the way here at the start. When we talk about this denarius or this penny, we're not talking about our payment of salvation, okay? It's nothing to do with salvation. This was a day's wage in those days. That's simply what Jesus was using this for. It was not some kind of illustration to show us that, you know, we're going to be paid for our, we're going to get paid for working for our salvation because we do not work for our salvation. There is nothing that we do that gains or rewards us with our salvation. And so when we look at this, it is more to do with Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about their attitude in service to the Lord. Not about their payment or their reward, but their attitude to service to the Lord. We know that when Jesus taught to the landowner, that when Jesus taught off the landowner, he was talking about God. And the workers or the laborers were examples of us Christians, followers of Jesus, the disciples. And so he was wanting to use this example to show God's grace and his generousness in giving to all, even if they don't deserve it. So if we come to verse 3 to 7. Now the landowner went out to the marketplace at the third hour, the sixth hour, the eleventh hour. Maybe you think to yourself, what does this, these hours mean? Well, they broke their working day into 12 hours. So you kind of have to work it out if we're starting at 6 o'clock. Then we come to the third hour, which is 9 a.m. Then we have the sixth hour, which would have been noon. And then the eleventh hour was basically an hour before work was meant to end. So they're coming at the very end, working for one hour at the eleventh hour. And so... The typical workday, as we said, was those 12 hours. So some of the workers agreed even just for one hour that they would come and work for this landowner. And they agreed with him that he would pay them fairly. They didn't say, set, we want this much, we're coming in at the end, we want this much to be paid. They agreed that they would take whatever the landowner was going to give them. These workers were needing work. They were standing waiting. They were idle. They were doing nothing. And they were grateful for any kind of work or any kind of payment that day. 
and the landowner needed as much help as he could get because he had a vineyard that needed harvest and he didn't want it wasted. So that was why he kept going back in. It wasn't that he didn't think that the workers who were already there couldn't do the work, but he didn't want his harvest to be wasted. So he wanted as many workers as possible. There was plenty of work for everyone to do. Spurgeon applied this to us spiritually. Why is any one of us remaining idle towards God? Has nothing yet had power to engage us to sacred service? Can we, um, can we say no man have hired us? God has called all into his harvest field to serve him. Can we dare to say no man has hired us? Because God has called us into his service. He has called us into his harvest field to serve him and to reach out to those around us. We should not be idle sitting back saying, I am saved. I have received salvation, so now I can do whatever I want. That is not what God has called us to. He has called us not to be idle, but he has called us to serve in his harvest field. Whether that is at the start of our life or that is at the end of our life, we are called to serve him. The landowner did something that seemed weird or even wrong to the other workers. To these workers who had come in at the start of the day, they had agreed to this payment and they went in at the start of the day and they worked hard right through the scorching sun, right through all of the day, and they never stopped. And then Jesus starts to pay the workers who came in last first instead of them. Because in their eyes, in their minds, who should be paid first but them? Because they were there first, right? They had worked all day. That makes pretty sense in my head. If I was there first, I want to be paid first, right? Doesn't seem wrong. But the landowner didn't do it that way. And Jesus was pointing this out for a reason. He didn't do it that way. He started with the last first. And he paid them what he had agreed to pay the workers who had come first. So now we have this problem. The first workers, they are now coming expecting more. They're thinking, if they've got paid the denarius that we were promised, when we've worked all day, then we are going to get more than them. So they're coming with their greedy little minds thinking, we're going to get more pay because we've been here all day. And so when they get to the master, to the landowner, they did not get paid more, did they? No, they got paid the same as what the other workers had got. Those who had only worked for a few hours, those had only worked for one hour. You know, I think, in a way, they were right to be annoyed. They were right to be cross. They were right to maybe question this landowner, why would we not get more? And why were they paid first? Why, when we have worked all through the day, have we not been paid more than the others 
How would you have felt if you were them? Be honest, right? We can all be honest. You know, we probably would have been annoyed too. I know I would have been, you know. And, you know, we're like that in life, right? We look around us and we see others being rewarded with things and, you know, their life's going better than ours and, you know, maybe they live in a bigger house than us and maybe their Christian walk, they've been, you know, um, maybe they've only been a Christian a couple of years, but yet you see such blessing in their life and how the Lord's using them and you think, why is the Lord using them and not me? And I've been a Christian all my life and, you know, I've served the Lord and, and why is the Lord not using me in that way? And we start to question, we start to grumble, we start to complain and we start to look at God's rewards from our eyes, from human eyes and not from God's eyes and not from his heart. The landowner pointed out that he had the right to be generous if he wanted to be. He had the right as the landowner to come and to give what he wanted to give. No one could tell him he was wrong. No one could tell him that they deserved more than the other. He had the right to be generous if he wanted. He had not wronged them. Because remember, had they agreed with him for a denarius for the day? They had. They knew what they were getting into. They knew what they were going to be given at the end of the day. And we know as Christians, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour, we know that God is asking us to be servants and he's asking us to tell others of him, not asking us to sit by idle. But we also know that our reward is in heaven, right? Our reward is in heaven. It is eternal life. And so here we have what we have Peter had asked this question, right? And Jesus was answering his question through this parable. What was he trying to say to Jesus? Because he had, to, to Peter, he had already said that they would be rewarded, right? But he's now wanting to say, show to Peter that God, the way God rewards is not the way man rewards, Right? There's a word that stands out to me when I look at this passage, when I look at what Jesus was saying about the landowner and what he was saying about his father. Grace. The word grace stands out to me. God is a gracious and merciful God. He does not give what we deserve, but he gives what he gives what he wants to give us out of his love and his mercy. If God was to give us what we deserve, we would be punished for our sin. If God was to give us what we deserve, we would be left in the marketplace, still standing there idle. But God gives us what we don't deserve. And he rewards us out of his love and his mercy. You know, it is obvious that Jesus wanted the disciples to serve and follow him because, not because of what they would be rewarded, but to serve and to glorify them, glorify him out 
of their heart. To give their life to him because they loved him and because they wanted to serve him because he had called them. God is infinitely generous and gracious and always give us better than we deserve. You know, the system of the law is easy to work out. You get what you deserve. You work, you get paid what you deserve. But the system of grace is God deals with us according to who he is, not who we are or what we have done. Isn't that wonderful to know that? That God rewards us out of his grace, not out of what we deserve. Because there's times I realize I don't deserve anything from the Lord because I have given nothing to him. But yet he still loves me and he still rewards me and he still is with me and he is still blessing my life and your life because of his grace and his mercy and because of how good a God he is, not because of who we are. You know, we look at the thief on the cross. He was there at the last hour, right? He was there at the last hour. He was beside Jesus on the cross. He deserved the punishment that he was getting, the death that he was receiving, but Jesus did not. But on that cross, he realized who was beside him and he called out to him. And did Jesus say, it's too late? Did Jesus say, no? No, he said, today I will, you will be with me in paradise. He rewarded the thief even on the cross. And he was able to be in heaven. Had he done anything for Jesus? Had he followed him? Had he served him? Had he told others of him? No, he had rebuked him. He had mocked him. But yet in that last hour, he received salvation. In that last hour, he knew that he was going to heaven. Look at the time that we have been given. Look at the days that we have been given and the people around us who need to hear of the Lord. It doesn't matter if we are rewarded greatly. What matters is that we are serving the Lord as he calls us to. And that he is gracious to us. And that he will reward us generously out of his love and his mercy. But we don't do it to be rewarded. Or we should not do it to be rewarded. You know, I, when I joined the mission, I didn't join the mission so I would get this big reward in heaven. I didn't join the mission so I would, you know, have this luxury, you know, life. I joined the mission because I wanted others to know of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think of missionaries all throughout the years who give their life to the Lord in service. They didn't do it for a reward. Yes, I'm sure they got their well done, good and faithful servant. But isn't what you're doing today just as important as what they did? We don't have to go to Africa or China or somewhere else to tell people about the Lord. Our life 
is a service to him or should be a service to him. All our service is already due to God. It belongs to him. The ability to serve God is the gift of his grace. The call to serve God is the gift of his grace. Every opportunity to serve is a gift of his grace. Being in the right state of mind to do the Lord's work is a gift of his grace. Successfulness, successful service to the, the Lord is the gift of his grace. It's all the gift of his grace. And Jesus was wanting his disciples to see that. That he had called them to follow him. And he didn't want them to do it because they would be rewarded. But he wanted them to do it because they loved him and they wanted to serve him and follow him. Ladies, I think it's time we moved on to the next point. We're going to be turning to verses 17 and we're going to be reading right through to 28. And this is Jesus teaches about status in the kingdom. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered, be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on the right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten began, became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. But as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, first of all, we're going to look at these first few verses, 17 to 19. And this really is leading up to this Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. Um, this is the third time that Jesus taught of his arrest. He taught of it in Matthew 16, 21, and Matthew 17, 22. 
And he taught of his crucifixion and his resurrection. But this is the first time he is to mention the cross itself. He tells them what awaits him in Jerusalem. But the disciples seem to say nothing at this point. Or Matthew didn't note that they did say anything. Did it go over their heads? Did they just listen to what Jesus was saying and thought nothing of it? Were their minds still fixated on this whole position in the kingdom and where they would be and how they would be rewarded? Were they still thinking of these things that they didn't even realize what Jesus was saying to them? That he was telling them and about what he was to do, why, what his purpose of coming to earth was? That he was going to go into Jerusalem and that it wouldn't look pretty, that it wasn't going to be this wonderful um, time in Jerusalem, but that he was going to be betrayed, and he knew who was going to betray him. That person was standing before him as he was saying this to the disciples. He was going to be condemned to death, a death that he did not deserve, a death that he had, should not have been taken because he had done nothing wrong. He was going to be delivered to the Gentiles whose form of death was cruel. He was going to be mocked and scourged. They were going to crucify him on their cross. There was going to be great suffering. Part of that great suffering was not just on the cross, but it was the disloyalty of his disciples himself that they would run away, that they would forsake him, that they would betray him. It was the injustice of being punished for something he had not done. It was the insult that he had all these years been going round and helping others and now he would be mocked and scourged. It was the physical pain that he would suffer. It was the humiliation of a death on the cross. But he gave the hope at the end. On the third day, he would rise again. Jesus wanted the disciples to know what they were going to witness. But he himself was also preparing himself for what was going to happen when he entered Jerusalem. This final journey, this final purpose of why he was here on earth. But it seemed that the disciples really didn't take a lot of heed of what Jesus was saying. Unfortunately, in their minds, they were still fixated on this whole position in the kingdom and how they would be rewarded and how that must have saddened Jesus to see where his, the, the minds of the disciples were. But it would change and Jesus knew that. They would come to see why Jesus had really come to this earth. In 20 to 21, after Jesus had said this, you then have James and John's mother arrive. And she comes and um, she comes asking for special positions for her sons. She wanted to be proud of them, that they were 
something more than just following Jesus, but they, they were going to be rewarded for following him. And they were going to be able to sit on the, the right and, and on the left. And she wasn't thinking about the other disciples who had been doing the same as, as her sons. She was thinking solely of her sons. And she came bowing down to Jesus respectfully to him, realizing who he was and, and who she was asking this great question of. But did she really know what she was asking? Well, she didn't. And Jesus points that out to her and to the disciples. Remember, in 1928, Jesus taught of the thrones that would be rewarded to the disciples. But they are wanting more than just these thrones. They are wanting this high position over everyone else. It might have been their mother who came, but it was out of their mouths that this had come. It was out of their intentions that this had come. They'd obviously talked to her. They'd obviously been thinking this over, that they wanted to be one on the left and one on the right. Jesus had talked about these thrones, so where will we be? Will we be great in the kingdom? They didn't think about the other followers or friends of Jesus who were there. But Jesus wants to know, why do you ask us? Do you know what you ask? Are you, are you knowing what you're asking of me? Are you able to drink the cup I am about to drink? I've just told you about what I'm about to do. The punishment that I'm about to take. I've just told you about me being able, that I am going to stand and be purged and I am going to be um, whipped and I am going to be punished for something I have not done and I am going to take this death upon the cross I am going to suffer greatly are you able to drink of this cup that I am about to drink off what do you think their answer was I probably would have been like no I can't drink of this cup I'm not worthy but the disciples in their minds they said yes we are able they thought that they were able to do this. But you know, when we look back, we can see that the disciples, what happened when all went sour? What happened? Right? They ran. They scampered. They didn't know what to do. They ran. Because truly, they were not in themselves able to drink this cup they may not have known what they, that would have looked like but Jesus said to them that they would drink of that cup and they would be baptized with the baptism of Jesus they would suffer for the cross James was the first martyr of the apostles he was the first to die for the cause, for the cross, for Jesus, for his name's sake. John, it was different for him, but he lived a long, and some said lonely life. And he served faithfully the Lord, but it was long. Christian walk. I remember sitting with my grandmother um, a couple of years before she died and she was 98 at the time or 97 at the time and I remember saying to her you know granny 
you know, how are you doing today? And she said, I've been here too long. I'm ready to go. I've been here too long. I've served him. I've prayed. I've done all I can. He needs to take me soon. She just wanted to go. And maybe that was like John. He had served faithfully, but he was ready for his life on earth to end. He had seen many of his friends being killed, but yet he was still living this long life. But Jesus had said to them that they would drink of his cup, that they would suffer. It would look different for each of them, but they would suffer. But Jesus said to them, yes, you will drink of this cup, but to sit on the right or the left was not Jesus' reward to give to them. It was not his right to give out this position. He knew that it was the Father's only. And so he said to them, yes, you will drink of this cup, but you will not be rewarded this because I say you will be rewarded this. God has already this planned. It's, he is already in his will. Who will be on the left? Who will be on the right? Jesus wanted them to know what true greatness was. You know, the disciples, the other disciples, the other 10 that were standing back, hearing their friend's mother come up and asking this question, they got a little displeased and they got a little kind of rattled with this question. And, and they weren't happy with these two brothers at all. They thought that they deserved what these brothers were asking for. But Jesus wanted them and James and John to understand what true greatness was. He said to them, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles will lord it over you. They will exercise their authority. But this is not to be you. This is not God's way. God is asking us, he was asking the disciples to be servants, just as Jesus came to serve and to be served, just as Jesus came to serve and not be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He was saying it to the disciples that they, the ones who would be great among them would be the servants. The ones who would have authority would be the ones who were slaves. It wouldn't look like what the world has to offer. This world makes us think that we have to be great. That we have to be in a high position. But Jesus wanted us to be lowly like him. And wants us to be servants. Not to be served, but to serve. And you know, when I think about this statement of Jesus, there's a song that came when Jesus said um, at the end, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I don't know if this song comes to your mind, but it comes to mine. How deep the father's love. In the very last Verse, and I can never sing this verse without crying. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, 
no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Jesus wanted them to see that true greatness came in being a servant and not being served like the world teaches us. Being a slave and not a master. Not boasting in ourselves, but in what Christ has done for us on the cross and him alone. Glorifying and exalting him and lifting him up and not ourselves. That's what was important. That's what Jesus wanted the disciples to get. And they did eventually get it. But maybe it took a long time. But may it not take us that long. That we realize that God is asking us to serve. Not to be served. To serve him. To live our lives for him. And to give our all to him. Well, we come to the last little bit in this passage, and you'd be glad to know we're coming to an end. But we come to the bit where Jesus heals these two blind men. In verse 29 to 34. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. You know, sometimes we can look at this last little bit of the passage and kind of think, you know, this little passage is not really that important to what we've already learned from Jesus in the parable and in him t- talking about going to Jerusalem and all that would happen. And then the, the, the sons of Zebedee coming and, and then at the end of, you know, Jesus talking about how we should be, you know, servants instead of looking for greatness and status Then we come to these two blind men. But you know, this was very important. Matthew put this here for a reason. He could have skipped this this story out. He could have left it out of this passage altogether, but he didn't because this was the conclusion to all what Jesus was saying. We see these two blind men who have heard that Jesus is coming their way. They cry out for him to have mercy on them. Have mercy on us. We're beggars, we're blind, we have nothing, we need you. They knew who he was, they recognised who he was, maybe more than even what the disciples recognised. Isn't that what Jesus was teaching about, about? God's grace and mercy on those who don't deserve it? He is putting it into practice, what he has just taught the disciples. He was willing to become a servant to these Two rejected blind beggars. The crowd tried to stop and silence them. But these two men saw something that some of the crowd did not see. They saw that Jesus was the promised Messiah 
because they called him the son of David. They thought he was the promised Messiah and they called out to him all the more until Jesus stopped and had compassion on them and healed them. Not only were they healed that day, they did not walk away being healed and happy that they were healed, but it says that they then followed Jesus. They followed him because they knew who he was and what he had done for them. They had, he had healed them and they were now willing to get up from where they were and to follow him. Jesus served by example. Even the two beggars on the street. And we too need to serve by example. We need to serve as Jesus has called us to and as he did. And as I bring this to an end, I really want to just quote this um, little bit from Wearsby. And I just was so moved by the way Wearsby worded this that I couldn't even try to word it myself. So let's just quote the man himself, right? And he says at the end of his chapter, he says, This chapter contains some hard things for us to receive and practice. If we love the things of this world, we cannot love God supremely. If we are not yielded, yielded completely to his will, we can't, cannot obey him unreservedly. If we seek glory for ourselves with other believers, then we cannot glorify him. We cannot acknowledge Jesus as king unless we love him supremely obey him unreservedly and glorify him completely. But if we do these things, we will share in his life and joy and one day reign with him. Amen. Amen. I couldn't put it any better, right? No. <laughs> Where's we got it down to a T. If we will do these things, we will share in his life and his joy and reign with him one day. What does it cost us to give our lives for him when it cost him everything? His life on the cross. Ladies, let's go out today and be willing to be servants. Not to be great in the world's eyes, but to be servants and to serve the one who deserves to be served. And that is Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are a wonderful, merciful, gracious God, that you do not reward as the world rewards, that you do not bless us as the world blesses. You do not reward us out of what we deserve, but of out of your love and your mercy and your grace and who you are, and what you have done, not what we have done. And Father, as you showed mercy to those two blind beggars, you have shown mercy to us and grace to us in saving us and not calling us to greatness in this world, but calling us to servanthood in this world, to reach out to the lost, to reach out to the dying, to reach out to those who need your love and your forgiveness. To serve as you served. 
to live our lives in the way that honours and glorifies you alone. And Lord, we cannot do that by ourselves. We can only do that with your help and your grace. So Lord, go before us today. Help us to go out of this place being servants, not seeking for status, but giving our lives in servanthood to you. Amen.